Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Take Heart. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that you can find free resources, show notes, and ways to connect with us at our website, takeheartspecialmoms.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter where we share great resources with you each month. Hi, this is Amy Brown, and I am with Carrie and Sarah, and this week we're talking about the lies we believe as moms. There is a lot of pressure on this motherhood gig. We want to do it well, and we have all kinds of voices telling us how we should do it. Advertising tells us that choosy moms choose Jif, and social media makes us feel like we're not measuring up. And I have to say that I am really thankful that I was not a young mom in the age of Pinterest. Much of this leads to guilt, and if you want to hear more about mom guilt, you can check out our episodes 38 to 41 on our website. We have this idea that we have to know it all, do it all, and enjoy it all every single day. We have an idea of what a perfect mom would look like. So if I say to you right now, who is a perfect mom, I guarantee you have somebody that comes to mind. I'd like to tell you a little story as we get started about my perfect mom ideal When I was a younger mom, there was a woman at my church. Her name was Linda, and she was a perfect mom. She was put together. Her kids never looked like they didn't have their hair combed at church. (laughs) She always had it together. Not only that, she was really, really holy. She had been a single missionary for years, and then she came home, got married, had children, and went back to um, the mission field. So there was one Sunday in our church that um, it was around Advent time, And of course, the Brown family was late because there's so many of them and of us, and we have a kid with um, behavioral issues. So we get into church, we're late, and of course, the only empty pews next to Perfect Linda. And I'm saying Perfect Linda in the most loving way, (laughs) because it was my idea of her. So anyway, um, I scoot in next to her, and it was Advent, and our church had decided to say during Advent, he is here. Well, I missed the memo on that whole thing, because when I got scooted in next to Linda with my hooligan family, um, she leans over and very sweetly says, he is here. And I said, who? (laughs) Then she says it again. He is here. And I said, who? Then she says the third time, he is here. And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. Who's here? And she said, Jesus is here. So... (laughs) First of all, (laughs) this is not the end of the story. My kids, I scooch down. I feel like a complete dork. Obviously, I can't get to church on time. My kids haven't combed their hair, and I don't even know the Christ child's here. But to make matters worse, as the minute I settled down, um, the lady behind me tapped me on the shoulder and whispered into my ear that my dress was on inside out. (laughs) So (laughs) 
I basically was a big dork in front of perfect Linda. But that's not the end of the story with Linda. A couple weeks later, Linda was speaking. Of course, she was at our women's ministry. She was sharing about motherhood and being a missionary. And she said, every day I would write in my journal. And in my mind, I just assumed Linda was writing inspiring Instagram-worthy quotes and Bible verses. But you know what she was writing? And I'll never forget this. She said, every day for weeks, I wrote two words. And those two words were barely coping. I will never forget that moment because in that moment, I realized, wait a minute, she's just like me. She's not perfect. I had this idea that I had put on her. She's this perfect, perfect mom. Um, And I think that's common as special needs moms and moms in general. We have this idea of motherhood that is unrealistic and untrue. And when we follow these lies and let them inform how we live our lives, then we struggle and we feel like we can't be honest with our struggles. I am so glad that Linda was honest and vulnerable in that moment. That changed the way I looked at her and also changed the way I look at other moms. Um, I think the lies we believe is especially um, important as we think about those with special needs moms because we are Olympic level parenters. (laughs) We do Olympic level parenting. We have a lot of responsibilities and expectations. So today uh, we're going to talk about the lies we believe a special needs mom, especially around the idea of what a good mom should do or would never do. Um, These false assumptions that we have about motherhood, and they end up being the um, soundtrack that runs in our head. So we're going to start and I'm just going to ask Sarah and Carrie, okay, just first words off the top. A good mom, you can answer however you want, a good mom would never... Um, a good mom would never get tired of being the caregiver. And I would say a good mom would never grieve her child that is still alive. I would say for me, a good mom never um, would lose it, lose her temper. Um, But those are all assumptions we have that we know in our experience as moms that we do. We have all those emotions. So Carrie, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what, what you had to say about grief. Yeah, so I just, I feel like sometimes, whether it's from comparison with other people or whatever it is, we just feel like we cannot feel these feelings of sadness and grief because we would say, oh, well, that mom over there did lose her child, but my child is still alive. And I think what we cannot discount is, and I was talking to my friend Jen, who has a special needs child just yesterday and we were talking about how we cannot make it's not a competition about whose child is worse or whose situation is worse and we we have to allow ourselves to feel the way we feel and also to take those emotions to God and and not feel like we have to get ourselves all cleaned up and make ourselves feel all pretty um, and and say, well, God, I, I was feeling really sad the other day, but now I'm okay. No, God doesn't want that. He wants us to come with all of our anger and grief and to him. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of, um, we have a lot of taboos on emotions as Christians. But if you read the Psalms, oh my goodness, <laughs> there's every emotion under the sun. Um and so I, I just find it interesting that we feel like what you said, we have to pretty it up and we have to say, I, I, for me, I say, well, at least like if a situation's bad and I'm struggling, I'll go, but at least 
it's not this bad. And as you said, or at least this thing hasn't happened. And in, in some ways, I think that's comparative. You're trying to compare and that's not healthy because, and you could go the other way. You could be really jealous of somebody who doesn't maybe have as significant um, struggles that you have. So you just say, well, what are they struggling about? You know, they don't have this. Um, so I think that's really, um, that's a good point. And Sarah, you said, um, wouldn't get tired. Repeat what you said, tired. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't get tired um, with this caregiver shtick. <laughs> I mean, like there are days where I'm like, I I'm I'm not cut out for this. This this stinks. And I think you know, and even I've Carrie, what you said about grieving your child that's still living. It took me a long time to realize that that's what I was doing. And I think it took me a long time for me to realize. It's okay to not want to do this all the time. And it's like, just because I get upset with my husband and I think, man, I really just want a break. I would love to go on a vacation by myself for two days. Does not mean that I don't love my husband. It doesn't mean that I don't love going on vacation with my husband. It just means that we need to reset. We need to rest. And it's okay to not love this yeah, like you said, this parenting gig that we have, it's Olympic level parenting. And I love it when you said that because even Olympians need rest. They need fuel. They need to reset. They need that time to themselves. They, And that's what we need, too. So it's okay to feel what we feel. Right. right. Um, I think, too, for me, like with the anger, like I'm not a person that normally gets angry, but I think I was taught very young it's not okay to be angry. And when you have kids that have behavioral issues, man, they know how to push your buttons. And no, I don't want to be in an angry stance. That's not helpful for anyone. But there are times when I have really beat myself up for the times that I've just like really gotten upset. And um, I I forget that I'm human, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I know that I'm human, but I think that as moms, we think, oh, we're not supposed to be these things. And I even find it with, I have adult kids that sometimes I have to say, well, I'm not going to be available to them right now because I can't. But even then, there's guilt around that as a mom, because a good mom should always be available. Um, So I think those are are important emotions to recognize and realize that it's not true that we're not allowed to feel these things. Because like I said, if you look in the Psalms and you look at other people around us, we all have those emotions. They're part of being human. And we take them to God, but it's okay to feel them. So what about um, lies around connection? I know we've talked about connection before on the podcast, but... I think there's a lot of lies around how other people for, uh, see us or what other people are doing that we can't do. So what kind of lies do you think there are around connection? So I would say on that one is like a good mom would prioritize the child's activities above their own. Because I guarantee you, I don't get to do much with friends. It's very few and far between. But man, whenever I do, you can guarantee things are unraveling. You know, my son's sick or like the meds aren't coming in and I have to spend hours on the phone. You know, like something always takes that place. And then especially when you have children who don't have a lot of friends, because a lot of special needs children or children with disabilities, they don't have those friendships. So you're constantly putting their social, what they do have above your own. And so I think that as far as connection is just putting him above me. And 
I mean, that sounds even now just saying it out loud. That sounds so bad. Like, I feel like I should put a disclaimer where I'm like, I really love him. And I want to I, I think we're just so hard on ourselves where that's concerned. And it's not it's OK to occasionally say, no, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I want 30 <laughs> minutes, people <laughs> like that's OK. I agree. I totally agree. What about you, Carrie? I would say a good mom would never think about leaving her special needs child in the care of someone else so she can get a break. And I, you know, I I just don't think that that is valid. I, now I, I want to be sympathetic to the situations, you know, because I do know that there are families out there that they have no one they can trust, right, to leave their children with. Um, and that makes me sad because I know how much they need a break. And I can remember um, when Toby was very little, Bruce and I went on a short trip because there were like really cheap, like $50 flights to Florida. And while we were gone, our power went out and our son's on a ventilator. And we had a gas power generator that had no gas in the garage. And um, and there were some issues. There were no flashlights in the house. We had no emergency plan. And from the outside, you could say, oh, that was just extremely irresponsible. And I can tell you that I definitely wrestled with that a lot. I felt like a horrible parent. And But the truth is we needed to get away, first of all. We needed to prioritize our marriage, secondly. And above all of those is that God was still caring for our son and our family. And, you know, they had to call the squad. The ambulance went and got gas. You know, my mom, they were just, we just need power and everything was okay. Um, but I, we could have easily just said, no, we can't do this. We can't ever leave him because, you know, he has all these medical things going on. Um, and, yeah, so that's probably one that, I have struggled with or that I've heard others struggle with, too. I would say, and this is very close to home right now for me, is I think God is showing me my biggest lie around connection is I don't need other people. Um, I will circle my wagons when the going gets tough. And I, I shared, you know, I've shared that we've had some pretty tough um, last six months with one of our children. And it's not that I think I can do it on my own. I think it's a twofold. I just kind of hunker down, circle my wagons, and don't let anyone in. But also, I'm tired of being too much. Like, I'm tired of saying, once again, put me on the prayer chain <laughs> once again. <laughs> so I think there's this whole idea that I'll just keep it to myself because that's just how I have to do it, which is, I mean, we know that we're not meant to do it alone. And if I've said it once, I probably said it 100 times on this podcast, we're not meant to do it alone. But I, I have been really convicted of that. And I've been doing this a really long time. And I think we still have our certain muscle memory behaviors we go to. And that's mine. That's mine. And actually today, um, we're having a little bit of a rough situation. And I called two of my closest friends. And I almost didn't. I almost thought, no, what are they going to do? But no, just letting them hear me and they know me, that was so helpful. And I, But it was hard to do. And it's not because they're going to judge me. It's just so weird. That is such an entrenched lie with me. I really feel like that God is working in my heart about as I continue on this journey. So I think that's a connection lie. And then we kind of talked about this a little bit, Sarah. You said, you know, I just want to go for a walk. There's so many lies around self-care. So what what kind of lies do you think come up 
in that regard. And self-care is a tricky subject because none of us, I don't know, we're, we have a really hard time doing it. <laughs> we're not the experts, people. <laughs> so I, if I could chime in on this one, I had a mentor ask me a couple months ago in her office, and I'm going to get a little teary saying this. She looked at me and she said, who cares for you? And I will tell you that that completely opened the floodgates. And what came out of that is that a good mom either A, doesn't need it or believes that she's, um, I believe that I'm not worth it, that I'm not worth being seen and heard and, and cared for. And that's, that's a big one. I think with mine is that I wouldn't spend money when our money's tight because there's always something financially that comes up with a child who's medically fragile. And who am I to go and spend $50 on a massage or a pedicure or whatever? Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think, again, we get into this black and white thinking where it has to be a full day spa treatment. Um, Sometimes... Okay, so I'm going to wrap myself out here. Um, (laughs) So I have my own business out of my house, um, completely unrelated to this one. And I had, whenever I first did this, so I could train, my children were littler at the time, and um, (laughs) to train them and my husband, I put signs on my door and it said, proceed with caution. It was like red, yellow, and green. It was like a stoplight. (laughs) And the red was stop. Do not come in unless there's copious amounts of blood, like (laughs) copious amounts of blood. And I'm the only one who can bandage it. Toto is flying by the window. We're not talking about (laughs) like we're not, I don't even want to know if it's a tornado watch. I'm warning (laughs) things are flying by the house. And so it was like, and I would sometimes go in and be like, I got to work. And I would just sit in there and that's okay. I mean, that is a form of self-care. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, it's like, I got to work. I'm billing clients. I wasn't billing anything, <laughs> but I was sitting in my office and most of the time I was just staring at the wall, but it's okay. And so I don't think we should get into this because I think, I don't know, self-care is such a politically correct. It's such a hot topic right now. And you see these people walking through the mountains and, you know, meditating on the side of a cliff or whatever. I'm like, no, I just, I, I want to be able to walk to the mailbox without the house falling apart. And I know that sounds like a martyrish statement, but sometimes it, that's what it feels like. Right. I can relate to that. And I, I want to go back to what you said. I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's small moment living. I think it has to be this big thing because everybody else gets to do these big things. But really, I, I noticed that just being outside, like I have been, one thing I've been doing for myself because once again, part of circling my wagon is not only not incur- including people, it is not doing anything for myself. I go for a walk every day. It may be 15 minutes, but my goal is to go every day, no matter the weather. And that's saying a lot for Michigan. <laughs> and um, I take a picture every day. And it started to become this thing like, I'm a big exerciser. So to me, a walk in 15 minutes doesn't seem like that ought to cut it. But it's not for the exercise. It's for figuring out what I'm going to take a picture of. It has been so life-giving, and it's just a little thing. But I think we have this idea it's got to be a big thing. And for if it's if it's a red stop sign, which I may actually copy, <laughs> can you do you have a copy of that, Sarah? Can we? <laughs> I do. Maybe I do. that should offer that to our listeners. <laughs> yes. 
I had one of those command <laughs> hooks on the door and I would change them out as stressed out as I was. That's and I would close idea. the door. You could hear, you could almost see the toes yeah. coming at the door and then turning around and walking like, oh, it's off. It's red. Yeah. It's I'll red. It. Now, they, now they know yeah. though, if they listen, <laughs> you've just yeah. ruined it. Okay. So maybe we need to, maybe we need to make some downloads for our listeners. Yeah. Copious yeah. amount of blood signs. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, ahead, and, well, and just going back to that, like I was thinking about, I think one of the things, the reasons why I feel like I'm not worth it is because I just, I grew up with the belief that you do all your work first before you play. And I had a friend say to me that um, laughter, play, and rest is a form of spiritual warfare because it displays faith, hope, and love. And, And it is true because we are so wired to, we don't deserve play, we don't deserve rest, we don't deserve self-care until we've gotten all of our work done and 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 honestly just recently our son got a service dog and he is an 85 pound golden doodle who has a lot of energy and when he's we're home because we're homeschooling and so I'm having to take him out and walk almost every day in any kind of weather which I don't necessarily love But it has made me go, no, it's okay. Like, stop what you're doing and go outside. And it's, it's, it's been helpful because it's, it's okay to breathe in a moment, to take a rest in the middle of work, to put the play and the laughter before work and everything you have to get done. I love that, Carrie, because I think sometimes we think self-care needs to serve two purposes. If I'm going to do self-care, then I need to run six miles and because that's also helping my heart health or whatever. Self-care can be something we delight in. And it made me think when you said, who takes care of you? uh, Somebody asked, a a spiritual director asked me the question, what do you do for fun? And I literally, I was just blank faced. (laughs) Like, and then I was like, I must not be fun. I'm not fun. I kept saying, I'm not fun. Am I? I'd say to my husband and he was like, calm down. But I think, you know, everything has so purposeful because of the kind of Olympic level parenting or homeschooling or whatever, you know. So I love that. I really love that quote. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, And that kind of goes along with lies around self-sufficiency. I think that plays right into that, that we have this idea that we have to do it all. And you mentioned having somebody um, care for your child. One of the ladies that we interviewed um, last year, Laura Hernandez, said she hired somebody to take her kids to therapy. And I thought, why had I never thought of that? Because there are therapies she doesn't need to be at. And I also know that not everybody can afford that. But just think about the times that you've needed help, but you have this lie in your head that that a good mom should be able to do keep all these plates spinning. I don't know if you guys have a speci- anything specific about that, but I think that's a big one. Well, I have a friend of mine that she she said that she would get out her Bible and sometimes it was to pretend to read <laughs> scriptures or her family would leave her alone. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, how often do we make the stop signs. You know, we tell them copious amounts of blood. I'm reading scripture. It's my devotion time. I'm exercising, whatever. What if we just said, this is my personal time. And we show them that it's okay to have that personal time that, you know, we're teaching them, I don't need an excuse to have 
some downtime and to take care of myself. And I think that's where I, I, I just often think about that. I'm like, maybe I just need to stop making excuses of why I need to take care of myself. And like you said, it doesn't have to be anything big. You don't have to hire somebody. That's awesome. And I would love to do that. That might not work for us. Um, but just something. And I think for me, with the, like a common lie around self-sufficiency is you feel like you're going to wear people out because you are too needy. And it kind of goes back to the connection. But I think that's what makes us feel like we have to be self-sufficient. Um, and also because, like, I think sometimes what people don't realize is it's like, well, are they better yet? Well, no, they're not better. You know, we we... This is an ongoing life thing. The grieving cycle is ongoing. And, you know, that that quote's been floating around social media in the last year. Like, just because she carries it well doesn't mean it's not heavy. And I think that really speaks to all of us and to our listeners because, and, and again, I don't think, I think that's well and good, but also we don't have to pretend that it's not heavy either. We can, we cannot carry it well also sometimes. <laughs> You know, but I think we do that because we I remember when we moved and had to change churches, I every time I walked into the door of a new church, I knew I just thought every person in this lobby is looking at our family going, oh, no, here they come. What are they going to need? I was putting my own thoughts and feelings on them, but there still is just that measure of feeling like you're too much. Your family's too much, you know. And I think sometimes people think if you are a friend to a family of special needs, that it's going to catch, like that <laughs> it's contagious. D- don't you feel that way sometimes? It, Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure I know the Lord has a plan, and I do think that he, you know, puts special needs families together to empathize and bear one another's burdens. But just because... You have special needs families around you doesn't mean that God's going to call you to that also. I would also, if you could find other special needs families, even if you need to join a group online or put something on on Facebook, I live in whatever state in this county, anybody else looking to maybe do some like sitting with each other's children for a while. Um, I have a friend of mine that she did that. Um. And she she kind of vetted them. She made sure she met with them several times beforehand. And then um, what they do is once a week for an hour, she sits with their her child and her own. And then the other person will sit with both of the children. And it just gives her an hour just to go and do something. Um, you know, that's always an option. And I know you have to be extremely careful, especially when it comes to strangers. But a lot of times when you're talking to another special needs moms or another special needs mom, especially one with a similar diagnosis that if they're both on sit vents or if they're, you know, if they're both on ports, whatever it is, they're going to get you and you're going to know real quick if they don't know what they're talking about. So that's, that's that's good advice. But I also want to speak to the mom of kids with behavioral issues. I know Mm -hmm. for me, I would always think, friends would offer, I'll take her for a half a day or a half hour. I'd always think, yeah, half a day. (laughs) Try that one on. But no, um, they would offer to take, but I'd be so worried that she would behave in a negative way. And most of the time, 
she didn't, or they could handle it for a couple hours. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't doing, I just, I transpose what my life looked like onto what, what the burden would be on them, mm-hmm. I guess. And so if you have a child like that and someone asks to take them, the worst thing is they never ask again, really, honestly. They never offer again. Mm-hmm. But even that um, is, uh, I think that you need to take people up on that. And we would all tell each other, like I would say to you, Carrie, of course you need to be doing this or of course you need to take care of yourself. But we just have a hard time. I think that's probably the biggest lie that we think we don't deserve it. We think the other special needs moms in our life deserve it, but we think we don't deserve it. So we have mm-hmm. identified a lot of lies. We could probably talk for three more hours about lies because there's so many, but I do want to shift. I want to shift about to um, how we recognize the lies and how we learn to maybe uh, retrain our thinking about them. But before we start talking about that, I want to read a quote. And this quote is from a book called The Great Dance. It's by Baxter Kruger. And he says this, when we believe lies to be true, and even though it will forever be a lie, by believing it to be true, we give that lie a foothold in our reality. When we believe I am not to be the truth, we give it a place in time and space, a place in our lives and in the lives of others. Without necessarily knowing what we are doing, we give the lie a place in our thinking. We open ourselves to its influence, and our understanding is darkened, and a break is formed, a fatal incongruence in who we are in Christ, which is accepted, loved, and included, in who we believe that we are. And I would add my own words here. I would say, when we believe we are not enough, that colors how we look at everything, and it affects how we live our lives. And it, it gets us to the point where we can't see the truth. And it's kind of like when you're riding in a car and you're lost and nothing looks familiar. The truth doesn't look familiar anymore because we're so used to believing the lie. So we talked about this before. How do you recognize the lies? And that is honestly, it's not like, oh, here's a lie. I'm just going to pluck it out and I'm done. No, we know that's not how it works. So I would love to hear what you ladies have to say about that. I know just I talked about this a little bit in my individual podcast and um some of this comes from Adam Young's podcast the place we find ourselves but he talks about how um to notice patterns of behavior and then also to notice like what are the reoccurring things that are in your mind or like say you get into an argument with your spouse or one of your children or even another family member cuz maybe you're a single parent but what are those repeated things that keep coming up over and over? And I mean, I know one of my big ones is just like, you know, I'm not worth it. I'm, I'm not an, you know, I'm not enough. I have to do all the work before play because I have to be achieving all the time in order to have worth and value. So I think that's just one of the ways that you can recognize the lies is just when you see this, these reoccurring thoughts or the words that are coming out of your mouth that are ha- that you're hearing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say too for me three kinds of other people walking alongside me. Number one, a therapy. I think therapy is important. Um, my therapist, my husband calls her adult supervision inside my head, <laughs> and that is exactly what she it's is. <laughs> She'll say, "Don't you see like how you're?" She really be. She can point things out to me. I also have a spiritual director. And um, that's been helpful. But like today, I said I called two of my friends who have known me forever, and they spoke truth to me. And they point out to me. I've given them permission to go, you know, Amy, what you're thinking isn't really true. 
And so you have to, I know that's hard. If, if It's hard if you don't have somebody like that, but just pray that God would bring those people into your life and be brave and say, I want you to walk this journey with me. Um, they don't have to be special needs moms. Neither one of my friends are special needs moms, but they, they kind of are the plumb line for me sometimes, you know, I'll be on a tangent about something and they'll go, but wait a minute, you, but you're believing the lie that you have to be good at everything and you have to know everything. That's kind of mine. Like I have to be good at it. I have to know it. If, if it's, if I find out there's a therapy I haven't heard of, then I'm like, why don't I know about this? Like, <laughs> I'm kind of really hard on myself. So I, that's one thing I would say is other people can speak into your life that, that are trustworthy. Um, so that would be one way I think that we would recognize um, lies and replace them with truth. I would say with mine, and I, I talked about this in my podcast too, is that whenever I start saying they should do this or any any kind of should statement like they should do this or I should be this way or my husband should unload the dishwasher more or whatever that might look like. Um, I'm such a I, I'm a very analytical and systems driven person. That's just the nature of my business and then the way that I was uh, brought up. But what I what I do is whenever I start th- saying like I should have more time, I don't have enough time. If it's a should statement or an absolute, if it should, shouldn't, always or never, I have to tell myself to step back. And so um, what I did, and this might seem very cumbersome for some, but I was uh, just actually, it was about a month or two ago, actually, I didn't have, I just felt like I didn't have enough time to do anything. And I was really stressed out all the time. And so I carried a notebook with me all day for a week. And I wrote down what I was doing. And if I sat down to watch TV, I wrote it and I did the times I did whatever. Or if I said, I want to go to the grocery store by myself, and I couldn't, I I just really made a point, no matter how trivial it might seem is just to record it. And it took time. It took effort. But at the end of it, I went back and looked through it. And I thought, okay, I'm spending a lot of time watching the office reruns, like something. I mean, I, I you because you just don't think about it. It's kind of like when you think I just I'm not losing any weight and you write down what you eat all day long. You realize, oh, there was 800 extra calories there. That's why. So it's just being really aware and cognizant of what's happening. So um, that would be my suggestion is whenever I recognize the lies is whenever I do the should shouldn'ts or the absolute statements. Thanks for that, Sarah. And we've talked a lot about lies and we haven't spent a lot of time on recognizing the truth, um, except for our few things we've said here. But I want to say to you that God is truth. And for me, sitting down and saying, God, show me what you want me to know about this. Show me um, what I need to recognize. Um, He's faithful to do that. He truly is. And it doesn't mean the next day you're going to all of a sudden know all the lies that you believed, but he is such a gentle, loving God that just shows us gently, either whether that's through scripture or through a sermon or through a loving friend or just through our own um, conviction of the Holy Spirit. He is a gentle, loving parent that will show us um, the direction he wants us to walk. And I'm so comforted by that because I kind of think I need to solve it all right now. So anyway, that's my encouragement to you. I'm going to end with a prayer. Uh, It is a Psalm, Psalm 25, and I'm just going to read two verses, verses four and five. But this is my prayer, uh, our prayer for you listeners, as we walk this journey and recognizing um, the lies we believe and how we can replace them with the truth. Dear Lord, make your ways known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Take Heart. Our prayer each week is for your heart to be encouraged. We are grateful you are walking this journey with us, and thanks for listening. Join us next week as we talk about the crazy, weird, and well-intentioned comments people say to special needs moms.